We're still coming at you live from the Royal here in Kansas City. The American Royal is one of the, if you refer to tennis or in football, you have the Super Bowl. In baseball, you have the World Series. In tennis, you got the Australian, you have the U.S. Open, you have Wimbledon, and there's one more. In golf, you have three or four huge majors. Um, This is one of the top four barbecue majors in the country, including the Jack Daniels and a couple other ones. I'm getting educated as we go with this relationship with Traeger, but I'm joined right now by another lifestyle that has a common denominator because of the outdoors, grilling, being in the backyard with your family and the passion and love for that. I have Mr. Bart Oates, and when if you Google Bart Oates, if you look up what he's accomplished in his life as an athlete, there's really no reason for him to be standing in 92-degree heat in Kansas City cooking brisket and tri-tip for the Team Traeger other than his pure love and passion. So, Bart, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, have you been here before? I have not been here. This is my first time to the Royal. I was... Uh in May, I was in Memphis. We did Memphis in May. The other, uh, it's another big barbecue championship. So, they uh, asked me if I would uh, be interested in coming here, and I said absolutely. This is, this is, uh, this is what my people do. And um, when, when, do you do a lot of, would, do you do a lot of barbecuing and grilling as a family man, or as a hobby? I absolutely do. I, I grew up in the South in Georgia, and then um, been in the East in New Jersey for the last 35 years. Don't get a lot of good restaurants that have barbecue, so if I need good barbecue, I got to do it myself, and uh, that's what I've done for the last 35 years. What's your absolute go-to right now? What would, if I said, cook me your best, show off for me right now, what would you choose? I'd probably do my uh, turkey. Um, I brine it for about three days in, in a nice brine, and then. Uh, Put it in my smoker for about uh, 15 hours, real slow, tell you to fall off the bone. And, uh, and with that, I, most people need to debone it like you do. You pull, pull it, and uh, most people think it's ham. So people will eat your turkey, and they'll think, and they'll ask you, "How did you cook this ham?" Yeah, because it's so moist. It's just got a and ton it, of juice. Yeah, you know, typically, a, you know, the breast on a turkey gets really dry when you roast it. Uh, just the opposite. You brine it for two or three days, and just f- spectacular. What are your other outdoor passions besides barbecue? Do you, uh, I don't, I don't want to get to your career yet, but what are your other outdoor passions? Well, I, you know, I like to play golf. Um, I more, more recently, I really love to go outside and take my uh, three-year-old granddaughter to the park. And do you do anything as far as fishing or living off the land, per se, gardening, uh, hunting, anything like that? Well, now I'm in Jersey. We, we don't do a whole lot of that in New Jersey. But, uh, yeah, I used to do more of that when I was in Georgia. And then if I visit family that's out in Utah, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll, get, I'll get outside a little more. I do fishing. I love to go fishing. love to go outside. Uh, it's wintertime, you know, go out and do some skiing or snowmobiling. So, yeah, if it's, uh, if it's outdoor activity, I kind of like it. So... How how do you get involved with a company and brand like Traeger? Did you get introduced by a buddy and and then all of a sudden you contact Traeger and say, hey, I'd like to come up and cook with you guys. But how, how, tell me about how your origins go with the company. So it, it, my wife was, we have a, um, a friend who works for Traeger in the culinary area. And um, so my wife was visiting with her a couple of years, about two years ago. And um, actually, no, it was, it was a little over a year ago. And then... Um, my wife was talking to uh, one of the uh, Chad Ward, who uh, is one of the marketing guys with uh, with Traeger, and uh, they were chatting. And my wife tells tells Chad that my my one of my bucket list items, you know, is uh, 
is going to Memphis in May. And uh, I grew up always hearing about, you know, the barbecue championship. And uh, I grew up in the South. And so Memphis was the big thing. And so uh, Chad said, well, I think we might be able to help him out. So he reached out to me and we kept in touch. And hence I, I went to Memphis uh, last uh, May. And then, uh, you know, they said, hey, we've got another really good one comes up in uh, in September. And uh, I said, well, count me in, you know, just I tell uh, Chad, I said, coach, just put me in. Have you ever had Chad Ward's brisket? I have. What do you think? Uh, it's almost as good as mine. Are you really? Are you being serious? Can no, you throw I'm down? No, I'm not being serious. <laughs> <laughs> it is so good, isn't it? Oh, it is. It's awesome. They get them from Snake River Farms. Have you cooked any Snake River Farms meats yet? Uh, that's all we do here. I mean, it's all, you know, I've done it. I mean, we probably will go up to a thousand pounds here. They say a lot of it has to do with how long their cattle and pigs are on feed. Is that is that safe to say that they they just feed them the right stuff for the right amount of time? I got to tell you what, it's it's whatever it's done, they do it right because it's uh it's as good a quality as you're gonna find anywhere. So when you look your name up, Bart, you're not known as a barbecuer. You're known as a badass football player, and football players are synonymous with eating. Um, they they have days to where they have to engage in so many meals and cal- caloric intake yeah. to, you know, to, to make sure that they maintain their weight as an offensive lineman or a defensive lineman. And, and then you have the specialized, more specialized per se positions as a linebacker receiver that, that might not have to engage as much, but they all love to eat. Did, is, is that safe to say that your football career taught you to be a professional eater and a professional, <laughs> uh, the love of barbecue? So, you know, there's all different kinds of guys, you know, you got wide receivers that weigh, uh, you know, under 200 pounds. You've got, you know, offensive and defensive linemen that weigh, uh, you know, closer to 400 pounds. So, I mean, it really runs a gamut. But I was a guy, I played offensive line. I was a center. I always had a hard time keeping the weight on. So, um, my emphasis was always calories. I had to, everything I did was about eating calories. And so, uh, yeah, I, I'm, you could say I'm a professional when it comes to eating and being able to maintain calories. I've, uh, I did that for a long time. I played 14 years professionally, and so on a competitive level, I was, uh, I had to maintain that uh, that weight because it was everybody kept getting bigger. Why, why, um, coming up as an athlete, you're a high school athlete. You're having some success on the gridiron. You're getting looks from colleges, and I'm just assuming that being as good as you were to have the career that you did, you probably had several colleges looking. How does an athlete in 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 back when you did it, and relate it to today, Bart? On how does an athlete make that decision on where to go to school and sign that letter of intent and and take that scholarship or that opportunity to be a walk on? Is it is a coach, a salesman, a marketer today to where they go out and talk these kids into coming? Do you have to be Nick Saban at the Crimson Tide and win all these national titles to attract the best in the world? How does how how do you do that as a coach and how does that athlete make up his mind on where to go and how did you decide to go to BYU in Utah? Well, I was a little different. Again, I grew up in Georgia. I was not a, uh, a good, you know, real recognized high school football player. Uh, I only had one other school, basically, that was interested in me, and that was Georgia Tech. And um, the reason I went to BYU, quite frankly, was my older brother uh, had, had gone there, had played there, and was very successful, had uh, been a captain, was an All-American, was a third-round draft choice in the NFL. And so it was kind of, uh, you know, the, the – uh, BYU said, you know, same same coaches, and uh, just figured I was I was made out of the same cloth. Well, they were a little bit disappointed when they when I first got there, but um, 
as it was, it, it turned out okay. I wound up uh, getting a little bit better. I, I developed a little later than he did, but um, you know, wound up and that was kind of my choice. It's just it was. I knew my brother was there. There was a comfort level. I had gone to a couple of their games. I just um, you know there was some family in the area. So um, I grew up um, an LDS member of the Church of the Ch Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So there was that familiarity there. Um, although I got to tell you, I, I you know it was a tough decision because I I wanted to go to Georgia Tech as well. It was it, it was an engineering school, and I was I was interested in pursuing engineering, and um, so it was um, you know just something you think about and you you I talked to my parents, I talked to friends, and uh, you know talked to my brother who had gone through it and. You know, it's just something that everybody's, it's unique. There's no one decision that's going to be the same. There's no, there's no, uh, you know, saying this is how it's done. Uh, every player has different uh, interests and have different uh, influences. And so, you know, it, it's just a matter of what they experience when they go on their trips and visit the school or who they talk to. Yeah, and head coaches have a lot to do with it. I mean, you know, Nick Saban, of course, is at that level where, you know, I mean, in the South anyway, he's, uh, you know, next to, you know, he's, he's close to deity. And so you know, Nick Saban comes, he wants it, and, you know, that guy's going to get a serious look, even if he's not going to get in for a couple of years. He's still going to go, I still got a better chance of, of continuing to play if I go with Alabama and develop than if I go somewhere else maybe and play right away. So your mom and dad can look at photos and say, we have two sons in the NFL. Now, your brother's a third-round draft pick out of Brigham Young University. What round did you go in? I was a free agent. I didn't get drafted by the NFL. Yeah, so you can become a free agent out of college and go for a tryout, or you go to the, you go to the combine and, and, and run your 40 and do your bench press, or how does that work? No, so you, you have to get invited to the combine. There's only 300-some-odd 300 guys that are invited to the combine. And so a lot more guys graduating. Um, I, I came out... I came out in 1983, and that year was the start of the USFL. So I decided to take a sure thing. The owner that had the team that wanted me in USFL offered me a guaranteed contract. I knew I wasn't going to be a, a really a high pick. I might have been a sixth or seventh round draft pick in the NFL. So I decided to take the sure thing, take the guaranteed money. I didn't expect to play much. I was a pretty good college player. But not great. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't one of these guys that was going to be a first rounder and a shoe in. Very likely, I could have gotten drafted in the mid round, got put on a team I didn't get a good fit in, and, and I wouldn't, have, I would have just got lost in the mix. As it was, I knew I had a chance going to the USFL. I'd be the starter and be able to kind of improve my trade, and that's what we did. I went to a, I came from a passing school, BYU, uh, USFL. I went to Philadelphia Star. Jim Mora was a head coach. We, uh, we were a running team. It was a pound and ground. And so I had to learn how to run block. And so I helped, kind of helped me improve my trade so that when I did go to the, US, uh, the NFL, I was competitive enough. I don't think I would have made it had I come out that first year. I needed those three years in the USFL to kind of hone my skills. Is there a such thing as the USFL anymore? No. USFL only lasted three years. And then they, uh, they went, they tried to, they said they were going to transfer and move to the fall and compete with the NFL. Never did. Sued the NFL. And then there was a long, protracted lawsuit. And uh, one thing or another, they never played again. And the NFL is, they are what they are today. So you're in Philadelphia. You come out of the USFL. And is this when you get drafted? Or how does that work? I'm a free I, agent. You're still a free agent going from the USFL to the NFL. So my, my agent knew, uh, it, uh, again, uh, Tony Agnone was my agent out of Baltimore. He 
had a number of guys. He, he didn't. He uh, worked with my brother, a number of other guys, but he had a relationship with George Young and the Giants, and so they were in need of a center. I was coming out, a free agent, so we negotiated a deal, and I, I signed with the New York Giants. So you leave Philadelphia, you move to New York as a as a, a potential player. You don't know for sure if you're. They needed a center, but do you know at that time that you're their guy? Yeah, I knew. So you knew no, confidently. So I, I knew. So advantage of being a free agent, you get to pick the team. So you pick you pick the place where you're going to fit in the best, as opposed to them drafting you and hoping you fit in. And so I, I knew they lost the starting center of the year before to an injury. They did, had a center they tried to use. It was a backup that wasn't working well. So they were actually in a desperate need for a center, of any center, that could just get the ball to the quarterback. And what year are you talking about right 1985. now? 1985. So you know Bill Parcells? Uh, yes, I do. Do you know Phil Sims? Well, yeah. Did you hike the ball to Phil Sims? I, I did. Tell me about that. Tell me about the first day, the first huddle you're in, on a, at not the practice field, but oh, an I'll NFL stadium. i tell you the first practice, quite okay, frankly. Tell me first so practice. I go to first practice. I go in, take a physical. I mean, it's during, I go... And talk to the trainers. I talk to uh, the, the equipment guys. They give me my equipment. They give me a locker. Meetings get out. I get dressed to go out on the field. And I'm the starting center. They'd actually cut the backup center, who was a long snapper. So I became the starting center and the long snapper before I'd even gotten on the field. And so Bill Parcells, I, I hadn't been able to make it because we played springtime. I'd finished my, my season in, in July, about two weeks earlier. And I was tired, and I kind of said, I'm going to sit down for a couple of weeks. So he was a little upset at me because he had a guy that was being a center that wasn't working. It was messing everything up. And he figured I was holding out for various reasons. I was just holding out because I was tired. I played 21 games. And I uh, came back, and he was a little upset with me. So uh, we did a punt drill. It was the first drill we did after warming up. I get out there, and he makes his cover all the way. Usually in, in a punt drill, you just kind of cover 10 or 15 yards. They call cover your lanes. You spread out the 11 guys. So you don't have any big holes in the for the return guy. So he made us instead of just covering your lanes, he made us just sprint all the way down to cover. And uh, about the third one, I wind up pulling my hamstring. I tear my hamstring about the third one. And now again, they'd already cut the long snapper, so they got nobody that can snap. They their guy that just signed as a starting center tears his hamstring. I'm done. I can't play for like three weeks now. And um, and he is just living because it puts him in just in a huge bind. Wound up missing the the uh, last preseason game. I I miss. I don't start the first regular season game. Although they they tape me up and real tight. I, I hobble out there just to do the snaps or punts and field goals. And then I wound up starting the second game of the season. And fortunately, I was I was blessed not to not to be hurt. And so I wound up starting the next uh, every game for the next nine years. Nine years. You say it like it's a not that big of a feeder with a grain of salt, but. You start every game for the New York Giants for nine years, or was there t- different teams in there? No, I was New York Giants, yeah. So at this time, being the center for a coveted quarterback like Phil Sims wore, correct me if I'm wrong, Bart, but he wore number 11. He did, yep. Um, blonde hair, innocent-looking guy that just had an absolute weapon yeah. as a hose, as an arm. Is that what his? Is that what kept him in the league, or was it his, it was no, his, it wasn't his, his, his intelligence? It wasn't his looks. What about his that. arm strength? No, it wasn't. It was his, it his, was his mentality. His mentality. You know, I mean, he was smart enough, but more than anything, it was his. He was a blue collar, just tough as nails, come at you in your face. It didn't matter who he was. Not intimidated with anybody at anything. 
Uh, it didn't matter how hard you hit him, he was going to get up and, and get in your face. I mean, that was the type of guy he was. And so, as a lineman, you just you respected a guy like that. And uh, it was before the day that they protected the quarterbacks. And so, there were a number of times he just got drilled. And you'd hear he'd, just get, he'd get crushed. He'd get up and he's hurting, but he's, he's going to get the next play out because he's going to refuse to let that guy know that he hurt him. And that was just a tough guy that you said, I'm going to play for somebody like that. Um, off off kilter a little bit. Are you teammates at the same time with LT? Yeah, Lawrence is on the defense. It was Lawrence Taylor. It, is he as crazy as we think he is, or no, what was Lawrence, he like? Lawrence as a, teammate? a great. I mean, he was just a great teammate. I mean, he didn't bother. He was just he'd show up to practice. He was there. He's never late. He was always on time. He he did what he's supposed to do. And uh, and when it came game day, I mean, he was a beast. Um, you know, and on he was off the field, he. He lived his life like he played on the field. And that was kind of, that's where you know a lot of the some of his issues came from. So now when you're when you're on the field, you're snapping this pigskin, this football, the Phil Sims, all, every play in the offense. Are you guys buddies off of the field? Are you calling each other? This is before texting and instant messaging, and and I don't even know if you do any of that now. But was it something to where Phil Sims is like, guys, that was a great effort today. I'm taking my entire offensive line to a steak dinner tonight. Are these stories that we hear about these quarterbacks true like this? Oh yeah, we well we kind of we kind of required him to take us out to dinner on occasion. So. Yeah, it was uh, it was something we get together. We had social out activities together. Uh, you know, we all had our families and different uh, emphasis. So some guys were closer friends than others. Uh, you know, if you had family situations were the same, uh, your, or your interests. And so yeah, everybody's a little bit different. Like today, I'm my one of the best guys. Guy I talked to the most was guy I actually practiced against. It was Jim Burt, the nose tackle. So yeah. you know, typically you, you kind of grow have an animosity to one another when you have to practice against each other so much, but. We kind of worked out. We had a nice, uh, nice arrangement. We worked, we worked hard, but we made each other better. I don't know if you'll answer this, and if you don't want to, just tell me no. But being uh, the starting center of the New York Giants in the mid '80s, I'm going to ask you, and then I'm going to tell you what my my opinion is, and then I want you to tell me if I'm close. But the most gifted player that you get to watch from that view of the sidelines or being on the field with. Is it Walter Payton in that day, or was there somebody as gifted, if not more, than Walter Payton in the mid-'80s? You know, kind of, Walter was more of the early-'80s. Towards the end, you know, his his career was winding down. You know, they won that Super Bowl in 85, uh, beating us in one of the the games, our divisional game. Uh, But that was kind of like, you know, the team was doing it for Walter because he had, you know, 70s and then early-'80s. And so, yeah, Walter would be, but, you know, Lawrence was in his prime. Uh, you could say he was he was just as dominant a guy. There was a um, guy that came on the, out of the USFL, Reggie White, that was a pretty dominant player. Um, had some other guys uh, that, you know, from a, a defensive standpoint, you know, I'd, I'd look at guys, um, Michael Carter from the 49ers and we had Jerry Ball for the Detroit Lions. And, you know, and there were guys on, the, you know, the uh, Redskins had a really good front four, uh, Dexter Manley and uh, Charles Mann. Daryl Grant. So, uh, you know, there were a lot, a lot of really good players there. Right? They say which one was kind of stood out the most. I mean, I was fortunate to be able to go then, then go to San Francisco and, you know, play with Jerry Rice and John Taylor and Steve Young. And, you know, Deion Sanders was on that team and Richard Dent. So, I mean, it was uh, kind of a who's who. You, you were in. You would snap the ball to Steve Young and then he would throw a touchdown pass to Taylor or Jerry. Pretty much, I just sit there and watch. Sometimes I completely miss my guy, and he still couldn't get there in time. 
that was an amazing team. That, oh, I mean, know, that after, offense after was After nine awesome. years of playing a, a smash-mouth offense with the Giants and then going to San Francisco where it's just a smooth and just angle stuff and just through the ball, we stretched the field. I'm like, uh, that, was, uh, that was like going to heaven almost. As the center, do you wear a wristband with the plays on your arm? No. Or do you just have everything memorized that the offensive coordinator and Parcells goes over all week? If you if you're playing the Niners or the Redskins, you have a specialized. You gotta you gotta protect the two hole. You gotta block down. Um, it, it there's all depends, yeah, there's right, so, so much there's so much that goes into an offense. How do you memorize all that? So yeah, football. I mean, the unique thing about football is it's precise. There is an assignment on every play for an offensive player. There's 11 assignments, and if you all 11 of you exercise, execute, execute perfectly, then it's going to be a successful play. And if one of you guys break down, it can be a disaster. So, you know, you practice starting in camp. Uh, they implement the offense, and then, of course, as you're a player that's been around, you got the same coaches, you know, it's the same offense, so it's, you know, you're running plays. There's only so many ways. Uh, you know, let's not, it's football, it's not rocket science. There's only so many ways you can run a play. You got a running play that goes in the over the, the uh, left guard. Then there's only so many ways, depending upon where the defensive guys are lined up and what kind of alignments and where, what angles. So that's where the center will make those line calls to help communicate. Hey, this is the line. This is what we're seeing. This is how. This is what we're going to block this play on. We're going to block it like a 43, or we may block it like a 34. We may block it like a 43 offset or strong. So it it really depends. You make that call, and then because of the practices you've got and just the repetitions you have, you just know what you got to do. Did you ever forget? Honestly, did you ever? Sure. Met, did, you would forget, and yeah, that's you it. would forget, but you would, you would, you would misinterpret sometimes. You, you'd say your your line mate would see it one way, and you saw it a different way. And so that's where communication is. Just as long as you can communicate, because there's a lot of verbal communication going on. That quarterback is saying his signal, and you're making calls to your lineman. And so there's, and he's he's responding back to you. So that's going on. You're trying to make those as you listen to the quarterback to make sure you, you know, that cadence is on one, is on set, is on two. So that you snap the ball and you're on, you're on at the cadence. Is there a feeling of letdown or a feeling of, I don't know if retribution is the right word, Bart, but if Phil gets smoked and his ribs get cracked, do you hold yourself accountable, even though it might not have been your mistake or your missed block? Is there, is there a sense of pride that you don't want to see Phil get hurt and when he does, you just feel terrible for the rest of the week until the next Sunday? Or how does that work out in, in a center's mind or an offensive line's mind? Well, so you, you got five five linemen. You work together. You're, you're a cohesive unit. And the, the more you do, the better you're going to be. And so, yeah, I mean, we take we take personal offense. Um, we take it personally if, if our running back or our quarterback uh, gets hurt, gets hit, uh, takes, takes a pounding they shouldn't take. And uh, you know, if it's a legitimate shot, then you blame yourself. If it's not, then you're gonna you're gonna find out who did it, and you're gonna go make sure that there's retribution. So, to sum up your playing days, is there anything that you can look at me across this table right now? And I and I just met you today, but with barbecue and sports and athleticism and everything, I kind of feel like you know I can ask you some questions that have some validity, but. Is there anything that you would tell me you would want to change with what you did, with uh, the way your career went, or are you just so humbled that you were a free agent 
and and got the opportunities that you did. And, and obviously, there's a such thing as execution and capitalizing on opportunities, which I feel that if I wrote a book on Barn Oats, that you did that. You capitalized on every opportunity put in front of you, and you probably still do that as a man today. But is there anything that you would change in your playing days? Not not your career now, but you're not your family life, just your playing days. I listen, I came in with very low expectations um, because of kind of where I was. I saw my brother, I, I knew the realities, and so I didn't come in with any un, un, uh, realistic expectations. Uh, so listen, uh, being on three Super Bowl championship teams, going to five Pro Bowls, um, I was blessed. I suppose the only thing I can say is, you know, I'd want four instead of three. So I, yeah. So wait, say that last sentence again, how many? I, so, I suppose the only thing I could say is I would, I would prefer to have four Super Bowl rings instead of three. Why don't, I say if there's anything better, what's better than having three Super Bowl rings? That's having four Super Bowl rings. And wh- where'd you win these at? Well, I had two with the Giants and one with the 49ers. What years with New York? 80, 86 and 90 seasons for the Giants and 94 season with the uh, 49ers. Is there one that stands out that tastes better than the other one? It's like asking me which of my three kids I like the most. Well, you can tell me, Bart. I, you know, it's, <laughs> listen, they all are, they're all unique. You know, the first one was the one that I dreamed about playing the Super Bowl since I was a little kid. That's what you dream of as, as a football player. And then you make it. And then my second one, it's like we were a, this underdog team. Phil Sims got hurt. Our starting running back got hurt. We had all this adversity, and yet we overcame it and won. And then the last one was the 49ers. After the Giants said, we're ready to move on. We think we got somebody else. And it was kind of like an affirmation that, hey, you know what? I can still play this game. and still uh, contribute to the success of a team. If you don't want to answer this question, Bart, just tell me to move on. But if I... If I assume that some of your kids are boys and they, uh, or a daughter and they have a son and you have a grandson that is six years old and mom or dad comes to you and says, hey, Pee Wee and Pop Warner and, and, and uh, youth football league signups are coming up. In today's society in 2018, with your career and with your stature and with your experiences on the football field, do you let your grandchild play football? Yes, absolutely. There, there's, more, there's more awareness today. Uh, the equipment's better. The coaching's better. The awareness of the protecting the uh, the player is better. I'm saying if there's a time to play, it's better now than when I played. So when you talk about when you played, please tell our audience right now what position what position do you hold right now, and how are you still affiliated with the sport of football? Well, I'm president of the NFL Alumni Association. Uh, I've been uh, working with the Alumni Association for about 10 years. I've been a chapter president on the national board and then took pr- uh, position as president about uh, nine months ago. And so we, uh, our mission is caring for our own and, um, and providing uh, programs and creating opportunities and advocating for the uh, former players, as well as caring for kids, where we, uh, our chapters, we have 35 to 40 chapters around the country and they each will uh, integrate, uh, have events and uh, different activities in uh, communities uh, with uh, the charities um, to help raise awareness and funds for those specific causes. Not too long ago, I was listening to a sports report. I think they, I believe they were in Philadelphia at an Eagles game. Might have been right before they won the Super Bowl last year or right after, but I heard some fans' reaction to a couple of the plays, Bart, about... It, um, specifically, they were geared towards the quarterbacks are too protected in today's football league. Yeah. 
you're a center, you're an offensive lineman, you've already self-proclaimed you had a lot of pride in protecting your quarterback, which you should, and you felt bad when he got ripped. Are the quarterbacks in today's game too protected to where it's almost taking the fun out of being a linebacker rushing the two-hole or, or a 53 Cowboy slot or something where the, 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 the rush is on? What is it called? What, what's the word I'm looking at? Blitz. Are they too protected? So I'm, a, I'm an offensive guy, so no. I mean, listen, you know, you don't want to be paying a guy $20 million a year and then, i.e., look at uh, Aaron, you know, Rodgers, first game. You know, they cart him off the field. I mean, it's like collectively they went from this, our season's over with. You just pay, you got this guy who's a 20 million, 20 plus million dollar a year player. Um, and, and you see, you know, you're done. So, you know, you need, you want to protect guys like that. There's, there's, you know, does it take the fun out of the game? Yeah, the mentality of going out and saying, I'm going to hurt, I'm going to, because the mentality when I was playing is, hey, you want to hit him hard enough. You want to, you don't want to end his career, but you want to put him out of the game. Um, and today that mentality's got to go. I mean, if you have that mentality, you're going to wind up with a lot of penalties and a lot of and uh, a lot of fines. I've always been um, interested in this part of football, as far as I had a, a buddy of mine. I don't know if you recognize this name with your 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 association with the league now, but Tony Cesario out of Colorado State played for the Jaguars and the Saints. Was a business partner of mine. Um, Remember the name? He passed away of a heart attack uh, five years ago on an elk hunt in Colorado. And um, they that his sister had had agreed with the NFL to donate some of his brain matter to the league for the doctors to do research on um, his head. He was an offensive lineman, two-time All-American at Colorado State, yeah. and drafted in the second round. Anyway, my point being is that he was a lineman, and they said that he was beat up as much as anybody that they had seen. And my, my question to you, Bart, is just because you're not getting smoked by a linebacker after you catch a pass across the middle, you're not Aaron Rodgers taking a shot to the ribs from a linebacker rushing the gap. Offensive linemen and defensive linemen are physical on every play with hands, these big meat claws hitting the helmet. I mean, they're taking some abuse too, right, down there in the trenches as, an, as a lineman? I'm sorry, what would you say? I can't remember that. <laughs> Now listen, um, you know. So what they found is it's not the concussions; it's the subconcussive hits. You know, it's, a, it's the thousands of hits that you take, and that's where you know the linemen are the ones that, that are take the majority of those. Yeah, your your quarterback he'll get hit occasionally. Your receivers get hit. You know, they may get ten passes thrown to them a game. Other than that, it's not a real physical. You know, at least particularly on the uh, hitting up in the uh, head and neck area. And so, uh, yeah, that's that's what they found is that that's you know it is uh, the uh, CTE. You know. Is what they're thinking is comes from these subconcussive hits, is it, and that's mainly within linemen. No, I'd say with all players because I mean, there's, you know, and it's not just football either. By the way, that's 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 where the you know the tension is there, but it's it's with girls soccer. I mean, you know, it's, it's the shaking of the head. It's it's uh, it's hitting the right heading the ball. I mean, so there's there's other sports that that have some of these same issues too. Where it's it, it's not owned by the NFL and by the or by football. So, you're saying that if a girl jumps up in the air in a soccer game and hits her head with another, that's where it could potentially be coming on, on plays like that where they're hitting heads well, no, or elbow to the so head or whatever? It's not just those one, because those don't happen too often. You're not getting hitting heads and, and getting concussions. But you're heading, you're running, you're jerking. There's a lot of motions that are going to cause your brain to rotate and to move inside the skull. And so, there's, there's so, what we know is we don't know enough. All the experts that you talk to, they'll say, here's what we do know. But there's this, it's like an iceberg. 
the majority of it, you know just about the tip of the iceberg. The majority of it, you don't know why. You don't know what's happening. You don't know the physiological events and the results. And so you've got all this media jumping on board with, with an incomplete picture and saying, hey, this is what it is, when in reality, they don't know, quite frankly. They don't know the extent. I think it's pretty well, I mean, it's common sense that you can say, listen, that's got to have something to do with it. So let's, let's start addressing it. Let's make, you know, less hitting. Let's be protective, better equipment. These things are common sense things. But as far as knowing exactly what's going on, they don't know yet. And that doesn't make you as a, a grandfather or father more reluctant to say, or at least promote a grandson or a son to put pads on? And with my second part no, of that no. question, not no. at all. I, I, I don't understand. You know, it irritates me a little bit to even have the question asked, okay. quite frankly, because it's, it just shows what the media has been able to accomplish in creating this confusion in the market, out in the world, in, in soccer moms. Going, you know, oh, my gosh, I, Johnny, I can't let Johnny play. Well, you know, guess what? There are... The vast majority of people that play this game walk away, and like myself, I played 14 years professionally, eight years between high school and college, 22 years competitive football, all right? I probably have CTE, but that doesn't mean I'm gonna die like this forgetful guy with, with you know, uh, Alzheimer's, you know what I mean? And there's guys that get Alzheimer's and other diseases of that nature that never play football. And so we're trying to point all of, and put it all there because of this, what I call this media hysterics. And that's, that's what we got to get away from. Got to start relying on what's the facts. The fact is, I played the game. I know what it's like. And I'm completely comfortable, right? And I've seen guys. I know the known, there's known risk involved. But there's also tremendous benefits of playing this game, too, that you can learn from nowhere else. And so to sit here and say, no, no I'm not going to play because of what this hysteria is out there, because it's, it's not factual. And there's some things about it, Quinn, but it's incomplete. Until we have that information, you know, I, I kind of know. I know more than what mom who's reading the paper knows. That much I do know. And with your knowledge of what you do know, Bart, is there a certain age that a kid should participate in con full contact yes. tackle football? What is that age? Me, personally? I'd say not before 12. Not before 12. That's me. I mean, I, I know guys doing 10, 12, 8. But I would say before 12, there's, it, there's a lot of others. There's limited contact. There's flag football. There's other alternatives that didn't exist when I was playing. And I started playing as an eight-year-old playing tackle football with, with full gear. So you're saying 12 years old. Now, does that mean that that, that kid's got about three years from 12 years old to 15 is when you're a freshman in high school? When he goes into his freshman year of high school, three years experience in football is good enough, and now they're ready. Their body has developed, their spinal cord, their muscle development is there to where they can they can learn and they can be coached at that age, right? Is that what you're saying? As a seven-year-old, you can't be coached to tackle the right way or with the right form to where we'll prevent more injuries than not. Is that safe to say? No. Okay. No, I'm gonna because I, I I disagree. I think a seven-year-old can be coached. Now it's it's how you coach them. And it's what positions you put them in, right? It's, it's really the complexity of the game increases as you get older and you gain an understanding of it. And as you know, there's kids, there's 12-year-old kids that look like they're 16, and there's 12-year-old kids that look like they're 8. So you got the physical development is completely different, and that goes with kids that are 15. And so, you know, it, it's taking the coach and coaching them, putting them in the right position, making them and giving them a chance to be successful. It's, it's, and that's, what's, that's what needs to be done.
I think it's very interesting that this the whole saga or the 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 media frenzy that you're talking about right now. I played football. I played college baseball at a D1 level, and I'm not bragging because you've accomplished so much more in athletics than I ever dreamed of. I played football. My brother was a two-time state champion in football. My brother Clay, who just got up to walk out for a second with Chad Ward, was the Gatorade player of the year at his high school as a running back um, in football, and he also played shortstop on the baseball team. And Football develops an, a, an athleticism as far as so many different things that we do in life now. Um, everything from the discipline to the organization to the team effort and all that what sports teach you. I think it's refreshing to hear that the president of the NFL Alumni Association is sitting two feet from me telling me that it's okay to put pads on steel. It's okay to go tackle somebody because in our society today, it's almost looked at as you're going to jail if you put your hands on somebody in football somewhere where you can do it and, and, and still shake hands after. Do you know where I'm going with this though, no, Mark? It, it teaches you, right? It teaches you a teamwork and a camaraderie, a discipline that you're not going to get anywhere else. And in today's world, we need that. I mean, we need our, we need our youth to be disciplined. We need some mental toughness. I mean, I think we have too much coddling, in my, in my humble opinion. You know, and, and yeah, there's, there's a need for it, but, you know, there's too much political correctness. Uh, the idea is get out there, and, and the NFL is not about politically correct. It's about who's going to execute and who can who can do the best and who can score. That's the winner, okay? And there's a winner and there's a loser. Nobody, it's not a, it's not a game that everybody gets trophies. You got losers. Oh, I love hearing. You know that. what? And and it's okay to lose. Doesn't mean that it you're te- a loser. Losing, in teach, life. losing just it teaches, teaches you. you. It teaches you as much as winning does. You, no, it teaches you more. 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 It teaches you more. It teaches you how to win. It, te- it teaches you what you don't like. It teaches you how to be better and gives you motivation. I mean, it's 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 a game that teaches you about life that you apply. I mean, I've got a mental toughness. I'm, I listen. I'm not that most men, but I got mental toughness that's from playing football, playing hardcore. Right? I put Bill Parcells. It required accountability. I'm just talking to a guy today. I said, you know, football. It's about accountability. Every day, I mean, you're gonna watch the film and they're gonna be coached, and they're gonna see, and you you're gonna see yourself. You're accountable every day, every game, every practice, every play. And that's that's what I mean. That's what we need. And too many, it's, it's about, hey, being willing to be accountable and, and doing and paying the price to be successful. Times have changed, there's no doubt about it in sports, right, Bart? And you played in the mid-80s and the early 90s, and you won four Super Bowls. Three. Three. Wish I, you would have won wish, four. That's right. <laughs> Times have changed financially with these players. Is it bullshit, and I apologize for cussing, but is it, do you ever get upset with the earnings that professional athletes make in any given respected sport, whether it was whether it's basketball, baseball, whatever, it, do you ever get upset right now of like, hey, I did the same thing, and these guys are making twenty million a year? I got to tell you, not once, no, not one time. These guys, it, it is what it is. I mean, the the games professionally have gotten better. They market themselves. They're making more money. Players have taken advantage. They're making more money. Good for them. Listen, I mean, would I like to have made more? Yeah, but listen, I was blessed. I, I didn't expect, I expected to play three years in the USFL, get enough money to pay for my uh, for my law school education so that when I finished law school and got my bar and passed the bar, I wouldn't have uh, any debt. Uh, I happened to play a little bit longer, you know, so I was just very, very blessed. Being a f- alumni of, this, of the New York Giants at one time in your career, how do you sum up 
what just happened with their with the receiver, the contract that he got, his credibility as a as a citizen, his celebrity, his haircut, his homemade videos that he makes to market himself. People look at these guys and they automatically come up with assumptions and pass judgment in America. And I'm sitting here looking like he's doing it. I mean, he's making it like that guy has got a God given a talent to catch a football. But there's a lot of people. I can catch a football if you throw it to me right now. You know what I'm saying? Yep. He's but, just, but not like that. Not like that, right? What What is so special about him? He, he's, he gets open. He's got separation. He gets separation, uh, and he's got the confidence of a quarterback. And um, it's interesting. It's the balls that that are kind of the the toughest catches are the ones that he'll make. You sometimes you see him drop things that are just real simple, maybe too simple. It's like, ah, okay. Uh, but I mean, he's just he's got he's got the focus. He's got competitiveness. So and he delivers. He's a guy that, you know, we talk about accountability. He performs. On the field, he performs. Like Lawrence Taylor. It's just, yeah, was he out and would he, would he go out and, and party? Yeah. But when he's on the field, did he perform? Absolutely. First ballot Hall of Famer and still the guy they go, oh, that's the next Lawrence Taylor. Uh, he was number 56 for the Giants. I would, I would say growing up, and I was mainly a baseball guy, but he, he had to be the most feared player in the league for his career. I mean, for the years he played, was he? Or was it Singletary, or or was it always LT was the guy that everybody no, was compared uh, to? Mike Mike was was right a great player, but but he didn't he didn't Mike wasn't going to rush a quarterback. He was going to take a, an offensive tackle and just run over him, like Lawrence did to to uh, Pro Bowl offensive tackles. I mean, he was just that good. I mean, he created that leverage and that speed, and and uh, he just had the ability to to on the field his balance and his his uh, just his athleticism was just incredible. And so, I mean, yeah, Mike Singletary couldn't do it. Mike made a lot of great plays, but not the dominance that Lawrence Taylor would have. You, you've mentioned now that there's there's money being made. This is a business. It's the job of the owner of the New York Giants or the New York Yankees, whether it was George Steinbrenner or, or whoever it is. It's a business. Their job is to make sure that there's butts in those seats, and those seats get full by paying the right players to get them there, to give them a chance to win, and to give those fans something to cheer about marketing in today's sports world is on a different level than it's ever has been um, with all of the different companies that are involved in it. At one time, Nike ran a campaign with Charles Barkley where Charles looks at the camera, and don't quote me on this, Bart, but he says something to the fact of, I am not a role model. I am here to get rebounds and win against Bill Ambeer and the Pistons and the dirty basketball that's being paid, played in Detroit or against Jordan and all those great players of that era of the NBA. Does that ring with you, or are sports guys held at a different level? If Bart Oates walks out on the on the football field and, and a kid asks him for his autograph and he's too busy, is he really the a-hole that he's portrayed as, or are you? is it okay to say no, or, so, or are so, you a role model? So do you want Bart Oates, the attorney, or do you want Bart Oates, how Bart Oates personally feels? Personally feels. Oh, personally, I think guys should be a role model. I mean, I think, hey, listen, you're... you're, you're you are blessed to be in that position to be paid the kind of money and to be able to have somebody like somebody come up and like say, "Oh, hey, you know, awesome! You're a great player, and you're terrific." You know, I realized long ago they weren't really they didn't care about me. They didn't know Bart Oates. They knew the guy at number sixty-five that played for the New York Giants. That's who they were. You know, that wasn't me though. That's what I did. And so I was fortunate enough having a brother who played and knowing enough about the game to kind of know the difference. Uh, so you're blessed to be there. So you're given this, you're given this platform to be able to do a lot of 
very meaningful things. And so um, I encourage guys to take advantage of it. And do the right thing and, and you know grab a social cause. I don't care if other people don't like it, right? I mean, it's happening out there today. But do it, you know, and say, hey, this is what's meaningful to me. This is important to me. And then use that platform that this gives you, that NFL gives you to say, I'm going to make a statement. And hopefully it's a positive statement, one that's going to be a good example to to uh, our youth growing up so that they're going to they have a positive. Because there's too many kids growing up in America today who don't have a real positive father figure, who need positive figures that are going to help them be successful and to reach their potential. And that's that's the potential that, that you have as a player in the NFL. And you just touched on my next question. I was going to go into this, and I think that this is what you're – um, referring to, but you just said it's going on out there today. And as the president of the NFL National Football League Players Alumni Association, I don't know if I have the title right, but it's somewhere to where Close you re- you represent players that have been contractually obligated to play football professionally for the National Football League. You you represent players that no longer play, you know, today, but have played. Correct? Alumni, meaning former players. Yeah, former players. So I, but that goes from the guys who are Hall of Famers, first ballot Hall of Famers. All the way to the guy that was just in a practice. He was How long do you camp. have to play in the NFL to get a – is it a union like baseball is? No, no. It's a former players organization. We're like a paternal organization. So there's no pension for ex-players? Well, there is, but that comes through the league. That, that comes, through, comes through, through the alumni association. Okay. So we're outside of the, the – those Those are all negotiated through the collective bargain agreement. So we're an organization that will – you know, we, we have – we're a proponent for the players. So where, you know, we can provide for – and help um, understand, you know, hey, here's you need additional benefits, or there's availability of the new CBA, and let's let's see if there's something available to the former guys who didn't get the type of pension the guys are getting now, or the type of pay the guys are getting now. And so that those are the kind of the things that we want to be proponents for and advocates for. And if again, Bart, if you want me to stop, tell me to stop, and we're almost going to wrap up here because I know you got some brisket to throw down on, but. The national anthem's playing at a national football stadium. Again, tell me to shut up if I need to. Do you stand? Do you kneel? Do you don't come out of the tunnel? Or does it matter to each their own? You're you're representing the alumni. How does the alumni feel about that? And where do you see this going now that Nike just signed Kaepernick to this big ad campaign? And Kaepernick's a face of the NFL, even though he hasn't had a helmet on in two seasons. He... Where is, where is this at? Where is it going? How do you feel about so, what's going on right now? The NFL Alumni Association, we encourage dialogue. All right? And so, again, it's about, hey, here's a platform. It gives you a, it gives you a kind of an un, unequal voice. I mean, a, a voice greater than what you really should have. Because, you know, quite frankly, other you played football. And why does that qualify you to really speak for these social issues? It really doesn't. But... Listen, people will listen because we play football. My, our point is, be an advocate. Take take that platform and be a voice for social causes, for for good in your community, for charitable organizations that are going to do some good things. Be that voice, whether it's whether it is controversial or not. Be a voice, but on the other hand, be respectful of someone else that has a differing opinion. And, and allow them to have a voice and respect that voice. That's what we encourage, open dialogue, respectful conversations. Refreshing to hear the first part of it and very interesting to hear the entire comment that you just made in your answer to that question. 
I don't know if I 100% agree with it, and I know that you don't care if I agree with it or not, and that's what open dialogue is all about. That's why we are free to think and say what we want. That's what this country's built on. I agree 100%, Mr. Bart. Now, when it comes to the quote-unquote disrespect that it shows military or the blue line or police officers or first responders, does that change things when you talk about an open forum to promote something like you're saying that you that you guys do that you promote uh, you know the freedom to do something or the freedom to speak listen i hope somebody respects my right to disagree with that but i'm also going to respect their right their voice and their actions to say this is what's important to me i can agree or disagree that's right that's my that's my right to do so but i'm not going to let again i'm not letting the media dictate the dialogue here. The media's the one that says this is disrespectful. Uh, the media's the one that says, oh, they, that's disrespectful. I mean, to me, kneeling is not a disrespectful act. Kneeling quietly next to your play, your teammates, is not necessarily disrespectful. But yet the media, we allowed the media, the NFL and, who, and whoever else, allowed the media to make that determination before they were able to, right, they created that dialogue. And so, you know, I, I think it was a a missed opportunity by the league to say, hey, no, this is something that, and, and what it really is, is a player saying, this is important. We want to raise awareness of this issue. Now, I don't agree with it. I personally would not kneel. That's, that's not, I would not do that. But I'm going to give him, I'm, I would even fight for his right to do it, even if I don't agree with it. When you said, do you want the attorney side of me or do you want the personal side of my answer, Are you? do you have a background in law? I'm an attorney, yes. Oh, well, then this... I had no idea. Like, you're very educated. You're very well-spoken. I get that. And I'm not kissing your butt. But I'm saying that you're an attorney. And are you, what kind of attorney? Are you a, are you a defense attorney? Are you a, are, do you work for the- I, real, I did real estate before I uh, took over the position as president of the NFL Alumni Association. So you're a real estate attorney? Correct. So if somebody gets in a dispute over land or a pre-commercial development, you could go in and represent them. And, and, and you know the laws around the transactions that take place between property and owner or property and seller. Is that fair to say? That's fair to say. Okay. Well, along those lines at all, um, if you want to think that you're barbecuing, you got your Traeger 850 Timberline rolling right now. This has been awesome. I wish I could talk to you, but I know you're slammed. Five players based on pure talent, offensive line, defensive line, don't care what position as far as receivers, they can be linemen, they can be linebackers. Who do you pick to invite over that night to cook the Bart Oats famous barbecue for if you only get to pick five NFL players that you played against or with? Uh, Steve Young. Brigham uh, Young Brigham alumni. Young, yeah. uh, teammate. Uh, Jim Burt. Jim Burt is the nose, nose ta- tackle nose for th- the Giants. Okay. Yeah. Uh, very good friend. Um, Let's see. I got five guys, right? Yeah, that's two. Well, okay. you don't count. You're the six. So you got four, so three, got three, more, three more to invite. Three more I get to pick. Is LT on there? Uh, now Lawrence likes to play golf. Uh, so Lawrence is not much of a foodie. I'm thinking of foodie guys. You foodies. know, guys that could. Been, you don't hear a lot of NFL guys say foodies. Steve's not really a foodie either, but you know, I'm just doing it. Uh, I'm just so he doesn't feel left out. But um, uh, interesting. I, yeah, I've never been asked that question before, so I'm not really prepared to answer. You don't uh, have to. I was just wondering. No, if no, I'm just I'm thinking it through. I suppose I'd um, so I gotta have some guys that really want. I think I got William Refrigerator Perry. Ooh. You know, he's a guy that you know, guy that's gonna like enjoy. 
you know. And uh, so it's, I think Steve would only kind of be like the the uh, the token non-foodie, but everybody else would be guys that can, you know, they they appreciate it and they're kind of like, uh, oh, you know, Chad Ward would be one. I'd want Chad there. It absolutely have to be part of that. He played baseball, so I'll give you that one. That's yeah, it's, your, cl- it's close enough. You got one we, more guy, but Chad, he had to play. Oh, Chad Ward just Chad, walked Chad in. Chad and I, we, we've done some one-on-ones against each other. Oh. Just one, so, one second. Oh. So he's got it. Just real quick, guys. I want to uh, I want to tell you all what, what went down at Memphis in May earlier this year. <laughs> I just felt a little froggy, and we had the uh, three-time Super Bowl champion Bart Oates there working it out. And uh, I swim moved past him. I Bruce Smith him. <clears throat> and, and that the way you remember it, Bart. Hey, okay. Hey, it's your story. You go ahead. You no, got, no, no. You got the mic at this point. No, no. I, I want to know. I mean, I just want to make sure I'm remembering it right. Is that yeah. what happened? That is not what I recall. I got some pictures to show otherwise. You know, I, I think maybe I was a little too high. <laughs> yeah, you got to you know, got to work on getting a little lower. A little, hey, little more knee bend. I don't know if you know, but I've been working with a strength and conditioning coach and a bull rush coach. I'm gonna be ready right before you go to the airport. I'm gonna let you get tired out, <laughs> and, we're, and we're gonna do two or three downs. See what happens. Maybe maybe three downs. That's two you, wins. Are you sure? Because you got, you were kind of sweating last night when you got back to your room. Oh oh oh! We gotta tell that story real quick. So I I, I, I love Barton, and Bart got involved with the brand here about six months ago, and it it's just it's just fun hanging out with the guy. So he gets he gets checked in early. He gets checked in early yesterday, and they don't have his room ready. So he hits me up, and he says, Chad, can I bring your my suitcase up to your room and change? I'm like, yeah, come on up. So he comes up, changes. We come over here, start doing business. And last night, down in the Power and Light District at a concert, and he he goes, man, he goes, you at the hotel? I was like, no, buddy, but I can get you in my room. So I call the front desk and say, hey, can you give Bart Oates a, a key to my room? He's got to go up there and get some stuff. Bree takes care of it. Sure, no problem. 1.30 in the morning, I get back, 85 degrees with the heat on. So, so you know what? So I grew up, listen, you're around the locker room, you know, it's like what the cardinal rule you have is you never let anybody have access to your room. I would never <laughs> let another player. And so it's so not Chad Ward done messed but up. Chad Ward, I mean, oh. it's his fault. It's like oh. never give somebody access to your room. So right. he had that, he had that cool down to about 62. And so I put it over on heat up to 85. On purpose or you like it at 85? You were messing well, with this him. This is his room. You're messing with Heck him. No, I don't want 85. <laughs> No, no. Being from Georgia, hey, you, you don't see want that to... sweat he's got on right now. Oh, it took about two minutes for that to come out. He's in that room. But I was sitting there and I was like, "Man, this is ridiculous." So <laughs> I take a shower at night anyway. So I'm like, "Man, I'm gonna get a cold, cold shower and crank this thing down to 60, cool, and see what it feels like." Shoot, I walked out after that cold shower. It's still 83 degrees in there. I think I think Bart was just trying to sweat two pounds out of me real quick. While I was trying to make weight for a wrestling match or something. <laughs> slow, slow you down for that one on one. But no, man, I'm gonna let y'all get back to it, but I, I just wanted to jump in here, man. I got so much respect for Bart and uh, not just working with him at Traeger, but I consider him a friend and uh, just what a great, genuine guy. Hey, he just invited you. I just asked him the question, Chad Ward, of if Bart, Mr. Bart Oates had the, uh, he's barbecuing on a Saturday in his backyard. He had to invite five players in the NFL. Who would they be? It doesn't matter what position. doesn't matter if you're a lineman or a specialized position. Who would he invite? And you were number four. Oh, man, I love it. I did play some fullback back with the Lakeland Gators about 11 years old, so <laughs> I guess that does qualify as being a football player. I love yeah, it. brother. Awesome, man. Well, hey, y'all keep having fun, and uh, thanks for letting me butt in here. Thank you, Chad Ward. Thank you, Traeger, for having us. Bart, if you uh, 
if you think about what you've accomplished in life, and I assume you're a family man. I am, yes. Where does your family live now? What part of Jersey? Uh, I'm out in, uh, about 30 miles to the uh, west of uh, New York City. It's refreshing to have somebody come on here and say the things that you said because I've had disciplined athletes that grew up kicking butt in life that 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 could put on a set of pads and go out and 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 catch a football or tackle a quarterback or run through that piece of paper at the beginning of a football game with the cheerleaders and the crowd going crazy with the marching band banging on those drums making you feel that pride on the underneath those Friday night lights there's so much of our culture in this country that is built around the analogy of Friday night lights there's been movies called Friday night lights even though college football is uh you know, mainly played on Saturday under the sunshine, and NFL games are played on Sundays. The Friday night lights are truly about youth football. Is that safe to say? It's about that lifestyle and that culture of that hometown team and that visiting team coming and that marching band, and that, that that's built on youth sports. And, and and kids were meant to play football, is what you're saying? Yes, absolutely. Do you do you have one one regret? Anything that you could tell me right now, maybe regret's the wrong word, any closing thoughts that would ever persuade you to say anything bad about the sport of football or playing any organized athletics as a kid when it comes to learning the qualities that those kids are going to need for the rest of their lives? No, I mean, it's nothing negative. I, whether it's football, whether it's baseball, basketball, whether it's girl sports, uh, it can only be positive. Get you out. It's, it's physically good for you. It's mentally good for you. It's, it's great for kids to be participating in sports. I want to continue this someday, Mr. Oates. Thank you so yes, much will. for sitting down with me. Bart Oates, three-time Super Bowl ring bearer of the National Football League, president of the NFL Players Alumni Association, Chad Belding. This life ain't for everybody. He has lived an amazing life, continues to do so. He's getting ready to go kick some butt on some pork butt and brisket for Traeger. Traeger, thank you so much. 2018 coming at you from Kansas City at the American Royal barbecue championships we'll be back with some more awesome guests coming up soon right here at this life ain't for everybody y'all have a great day